Today on episode number 69 of the Marketing Musician Podcast, little lessons from Paul Stanley of KISS. It might seem like a lot to make it happen today, but give it all you got and you just might find your way. Just make the music and you can choose to tell the world just who you are. You're listening to the Marketing Musician Podcast at marketingmusician.com. All right. Hello, you marketing maniacs. It is I, your smiling host, Jammin' Dave Jackson, author of the book, Get Your Band Out of the Basement. You can find that right at Amazon, or if you just go out to our website, marketingmusician.com. If you'd like to contact me, you can find me at marketingmusician.com. This is where we come to learn how to get more fans, more gigs, more music sales. And I got to tell you, uh, from time to time, you stumble across stuff that if you're under... Oh, 45, we'll say, you got to listen to this book. It is awesome. It's called Face the Music, A Life Exposed. It is written by Paul Stanley, and you can listen to this for free. If you go out to marketingmusician.com forward slash audible, write that down. Marketingmusician.com forward slash audible. You can get this book for free. It's written by Paul Stanley. It's narrated by Paul Stanley. And it's 12 hours and 16 minutes long. And it's just chock full of information about the rock band Kiss as well as his life. And the thing that blew me away is he starts off by explaining how he was born with no right ear. And whatever he has for an ear canal, it was deaf. It's an amazing, amazing story. So I want to play you a clip from this today. Uh, and we'll comment on the end of it. But here's a clip from Face the Music, A Life Exposed. What we began to encounter at Catch-22 when we tried to capitalize on what to us seemed like increasing buzz. Every time we called a booking agent to help us get more gigs, we got the same response. We couldn't get a booking agent unless we had a record label. But whenever we sent demos to labels to try to get a label deal, they wanted to know who our booking agent was. So we figured we'd just have to continue booking our own shows and hope for the best. But outside of the daisy, we seemed to run up against a wall on that front too. Who's your manager? Club owners asked when we rang them. We don't have a manager. Well, we need to talk to a manager. Unless we play at your club, we can't get a manager. Sorry. Something had to give. Then we had an idea. What about the hotel diplomat where the dolls had played? It wasn't a club, so we wouldn't need to persuade a booker or manager to hire us. We just needed to rent the place out. It could be our way to bypass the roadblocks we kept running up against. Everything would be in our own hands. I went to the hotel to inquire about renting the ballroom. It was 500 bucks. That was a lot of money, but we decided to bite the bullet. We knew we couldn't fill the place on our own, so we asked the brats to headline the show. We agreed to pay them a few hundred bucks. We even wrote out a contract like concert promoters. We were up to our necks now. In order to draw a crowd and have any chance of recouping our outlay, we realized we had to advertise. 
We needed handbills we could post around town, and we needed to take out an ad in some of the local papers, like the Village Voice. This would all take money, too, but Gina and I were still working, and I had gotten Ace a job driving for the same taxi company I drove for. We also wanted a band logo to make the ads and posters look good. Ace had jotted down a logo for the flyer for our Bleecker Street loft shows. He was a pretty decent artist. I took his sketch and used it as the basis for a series of KISS logos I designed, ultimately arriving at the one that has adorned all things KISS for the past 40 years. I vividly remember sitting on my parents' sofa while they were out of town and drawing up the final version on thick white stock using a straight edge and a drafting pen. The SS in the logo actually consists of one S that is thicker than the other with different proportions and they aren't exactly parallel because I just eyeballed it. Ace's concept was closer to the Nazi SS. I certainly suspected that was his inspiration and the fact that a few years later he bought Nazi memorabilia on our first European tour confirmed this in my mind. As a Jew, I was sensitive about the SS and Gene's family had survived the Holocaust. My father never liked our logo because he thought my version was still too close to the Nazi lightning bolts, but for me, it didn't hit home until years later when I learned our logo was banned in Germany because Nazi imagery was illegal there. When I drafted the logo, I certainly never intended to court controversy at the expense of victims of history. I didn't want that on my conscience. Once we'd taken care of the ads, we put posters up all over the city. We did it ourselves, at night. We take two posters, wrap them around something like a signpost, and staple both sides together. I also made logo t-shirts, cutting stencils of the logo from cardboard, laying them on black t-shirts, and then painting rubber cement on the fabric and pouring glitter onto it. Take off the stencil and there was a sparkling metallic KISS logo on black. Peter's sister made some too and we passed them out to friends of the band for the show. All right, I'm going to stop right there. we got a little more to listen to. But notice that, number one, they had day jobs, right? We got that. And the fact that they were doing whatever it took, they were designing their own logo. We'll talk more about that in a second. But they were all working together for the most part, and they were doing it themselves. And in this case, when they couldn't get a manager, when they couldn't get booked, they just took matters into their own hand and they had to invest in themselves. They had to take themselves seriously. So let's uh, listen to a little more of this. We also made up rough and ready media kits and sent them out to people whose names we found in magazines and the credits of record sleeves, managers and producers and booking agents. You could find all sorts of information if you scoured publications like Billboard. Each kit had a folder with a bio featuring the logo, an 8x10 photo, and complimentary passes to the diplomat. Nobody was hustling like that back then. The show passes listed the set time for our show, not the Brat show, even though they were more the draw. We hoped that the industry types would show up, see a packed ballroom, and assume we had brought the crowd. We had some additional ideas about our stage show, too. In June, I saw Alice Cooper's Billion Dollar Babies tour, and the theatricality made a huge impression on me. He really opened my eyes to the possibilities of a rock and roll show. Although it was more staged than anything I wanted to do, it seemed quite choreographed, and the whole thing had a scripted feel to it. I liked the atmosphere and environment he created. 
I wanted Kiss to do things as visually arresting as that, but I wanted the band to be the show by itself as opposed to something that was providing a soundtrack for a separate drama. I wanted Kiss to command the same kind of attention without the use of dancers or giant toothbrushes. The question was how. It would be a while before we fleshed out anything along those lines, but one thing we did immediately was buy a truckload of empty speaker cabinets. They cost next to nothing and looked like martial amps. We figured we could stack the empty speaker cabinets on stage to give our setup the right image. We just had to warn the spotlight operator not to hit them with the light because then people would be able to see that they were empty. Early on the day of the show, July 13, 1973, I rented a van and we loaded in and inconspicuously set up all our gear before anyone else arrived. This was a ruse to make people think we had a road crew. This is one thing I want to chime in on. I always tell people, work on a look. Now, this doesn't mean you have to wear makeup and spit blood, but if you are wearing the same clothes that you wore to work on stage, you need to think about your look. I've said it before that they see you before they hear you. And that visual aspect, to a certain extent, is foreplay to actually hearing you. When people eventually showed up, we wanted them to see everything ready for us to walk on the stage, as if somebody had taken care of it all before we even arrived at the venue. Nobody would realize we had humped it all ourselves. In actuality, we had just one guy, a friend of Ace's named Eddie Solon, who handled the sound on our PA. After we set everything up at the hotel, we went back to our loft on 23rd Street and got ready for the show, doing our makeup and putting on our outfits. Peter was up to his usual shenanigans, threatening to quit the band just as we thought we were on the verge of taking a step forward. In order to make him feel better, Gina and I arranged a special treat. When we all went downstairs to go to the hotel, a limo was waiting at the curb. It made all of us, not just Peter, feel special to show up in that car. I can't imagine a limo had ever pulled up in front of that place. The ballroom was nearly full. We realized immediately that we must have covered our expenses. There were probably 400 people there, and at three bucks a ticket, we would be in the black. We stomped through the audience in full regalia and took the stage. At least one A&R exec showed up for the show as we had hoped. His name was Rich Chatoyan, and he worked for Windfall Records, which was the home of the band Mountain, who had a massive hit with Mississippi Queen a few years before. Listen, he said, you guys are great, but honestly, I don't know what to do with you. It didn't seem like a big mystery to me. If you thought we were good live, just put out a record. I didn't think people needed to think about packaging us or marketing us. Just put it out. Of course, it wasn't the last time somebody was taken aback by our makeup. But by this time, we had confidence, conviction even, in what we were doing. And since we hadn't lost money on the show, we also knew we could do this again and get more people to check us out. Maybe somebody would figure us out. This is who we are, we told the guy. We are KISS. And that's a good place to stop it. The uh, Again, you can find this at marketingmusician.com forward slash audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E. How this works is you get the book for free. And then you can have, you have 30 days to cancel your subscription. If you stay with your subscription, I think it's 14 bucks a month. And there are tons of great books out there. But just go out, type in Paul Stanley. If you decide I don't want a subscription, just cancel it. Anytime within the first 30 days. And uh, you get to keep the book 
for free. So let's look about a couple things they talked about. Number one, when you're, they had a problem with their logo, they actually uh, couldn't get into Germany for a while because of their logo. And I have a friend of mine that does a podcast about the Cincinnati Bengals, and it was it was called Who Day Weekly, and it turns out that somehow the phrase Who Day is trademarked. It's the Cincinnati Bagel thing, and the NFL sent him a cease and desist letter, and he had to change the name of his podcast. So when choosing the name of a band, definitely, bar minimum, do a Google search and see what uh, other people are using that phrase. You, you may be surprised to find out. I know I played in a band called the Sugar Daddies, and we got a, a letter from the Charms Company who makes the candy. And then the other thing we found out is if you went to sugardaddies.com, don't go there. It's a porn site. So we had to tell our audience it's the sugardaddies.com. And I think if we had to do it again, we probably would have picked a different name. And we also saw there where they went to great lengths to make sure they looked okay. And later you'll find out how they were constantly, they talked about it. everybody's walking around. Everybody was walking around drumming up business. You'll also see and over and over again that Ace is lazy. Ace Freely, the lead guitarist of Kiss, was lazy and probably still is. And Peter Chris, you'll see there, was threatening to quit the band. He did this on a regular basis. Now, for the record, uh, now the other thing that was interesting is I don't think Gene, I don't, the the band, and in case you're not familiar with Kiss, it's Gene, St- Gene Simmons, who's probably now just as famous for being on TV as he is the bass player of Kiss, Paul Stanley, uh, Ace Freely was the original guy, lead, lead guitar player, and Peter Chris. And Ace Freely and Peter Chris have a, uh, it goes through the book. Number one, uh, Ace Freely is an okay guitarist. Peter Chris has never been uh, a great drummer. In fact, they actually originally cut the rather long, boring drum solo on Kiss Alive 1. And he, of course, yes, you guessed it, threatened to quit the band if they didn't put it back. And I'm just here to tell you, if you have someone in your life who is constantly drawing a line in the sand, constantly giving you ultimatums, if it's, hey, if you don't put a ring on it, I'm, you know, I'm leaving. If you don't do this, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. You know what? Let them leave. Let them leave. Don't let the door hit you in the butt because they obviously don't share the vision of what you're doing. And if they have to play that card, then things are pretty bad, in my opinion. And that's all that is. And um, it, it just goes through over and over and over. And even they, they kick the guys out of the band. They get them back together, original four guys. And you would think that the guys that got kicked out would have learned their lesson. And they don't. They go back to being prima donnas and, for lack of a better phrase, drunk. And he points out that, and this is the part that was interesting, it doesn't sound like Paul Stanley is a huge fan of Gene Simmons. I mean, they 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 are partners. They are business partners. But he explains how Gene Simmons is not a marketing genius. He goes, the only marketing genius that Gene has displayed is the fact that he's got the world to believe that he's a marketing genius and that all that uh, kiss paraphernalia, yeah, that actually most of those companies come to them and they just sign off on it. It's not like Gene is sitting there going, maybe if we do a kiss coffin, things of that nature. So it's uh, it's an interesting read. He does throw everybody under the bus, including himself. And like I say, there are lots of stories there about the ups and the downs. It goes through the uh, 
the downs of Kiss when they kind of uh, lost their way there and they were listening to people and the fact that, again, drugs are bad. Their, uh, their manager, Bill O'Coyne, had a really bad drug problem at one point was uh, stealing their equipment and selling it. So there's lots of lessons to be learned here and a lot of lessons about how to be happy. Because at one point in the book, he explains how he was a millionaire. He had tons of just vintage guitars, vintage cars, and still was not happy. Now, later, he's married with, I think, five kids, and he's ecstatic because he kind of found that there are more things in life than what money can bring you. And uh, like I said, if you want to check out the book, go out to marketingmusician.com forward slash audible in the search box. Just type in Paul Stanley. The book is called Face the Music, A Life Exposed. And uh, I got to tell you, I, 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 was, I was a KISS fan. I was not a huge, gigantic KISS person, but uh, I had from like KISS Alive through Kiss Alive 2, and then the 80s, you know, Hot in the Shade, things like that. I kind of, that's when I lost uh, faith in them. I, I loved uh, Creatures of the Night and Lick It Up. And they also explain how Vinnie Vincent, another guy, not a team player. And so as much as uh, Gene and Paul disagree on some things, he mentions that as long as you can love the band more than you hate the other person. You're an okay. And as long as that, the reason he likes Gene Simmons, the reason they make good business partners is they have the same goal for the band. And there was a time when Paul Stanley kind of had to say to him, not so much an ultimatum I'm leaving, but like, look, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do more work in the band, I got to get paid because Gene Simmons had gone off to be a, uh, to make bad movies and be an actor. And so now it sounds like they're more on the, the same pace. They've got new players in there and things are going well. So, but I thought that was interesting. I love the fact that they bought speakers to make it look like they were a bigger band than they were. They went through all sorts of tremendous things to that image. And he mentions at the end of the book that he knows eventually he will be replaced in Kiss because anybody can put on the makeup and play that part. Now, not everybody can sing like him. And there is only one Paul Stanley. There's only one Gene Simmons. But in theory, Kiss could go on forever. Much like ZZ Top and things of that nature. Think about it, all these guys have one look. And all you got to do is grow a beard or, or glue one to your face and put on some sunglasses and a hat. And you could look just like ZZ Top. So it's an interesting read. Some great rock lessons learned there. And uh, again, check it out. MarketingMusician.com forward slash audible. I'll have more about this out at our website, which is marketingmusician.com forward slash 69. You could also pick up my book. It's not an audio book. Well, actually, I do have an audio book of my book out at uh, marketingmusician.com, but I also have the Kindle version as well. So let me remind you that for those who have money, uh, there is therapy. And for the rest of us, there is music. Stay cool, everybody. Hallelujah. God bless. Take care. Woo! Woo!